Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Work Stoppage. I am one of your hosts, John. I am Lena. I'm Dan. And we are here to talk about labor relations, basically, yeah. for about yeah, an we, hour. The, the Work Stoppage <laughs> Labor Relations Board. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Comrade uh, President Joe Biden has appointed us to replace the reactionary <laughs> NLRB. Uh, we will soon be issuing decrees making all forms of private property illegal. So look forward to that on our Patreon feed. We're going to do that. It's the thing that the um, union busters always make you scared of. It. We're going to force strikes. Everybody's going on strike right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, speaking of our Patreon feed, if you want to hear twice as many episodes every month, you can head over there to give us $5 a month. If you want to help out the show a little bit more, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And today, we don't just have one follow-up for you. I think we have a, a smattering of follow-ups. Uh, yeah, starting oops, all w- follow-ups. Oops, all follow-ups. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so funny. I, I, uh, as an aside, it's ridiculous that they introduced Cap'n Crunch, and then they put the Crunch Berries in the Cap'n Crunch, and then they were like, what if we just had a cereal that was just the Crunch Berries? <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. Like, Lucky Charms doesn't do oops, all marshmallows. Is that, is that, is that, uh, is that like synthesis and... Uh, and that's Fichtian, <laughs> the Fichtian synthetic method. That's I mean, it's it's just, you know, it's all that innovation that capitalism produces that we hear so much about. <laughs> I mean, sure, nobody can get health care and people are dying because, like, they can't afford insulin. But there's about but 150 cereal. different kinds of goddamn breakfast cereal. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I grew up near Kellogg, Michigan, so I know all about how that's just a, a fucking beacon of hope and democracy. <laughs> Uh, definitely not a weird Puritan thing. Cornflakes were invented to keep you from masturbating, which I think really is just an important part of the American mythos that a lot of people don't know about. But <laughs> unrelated to cornflakes, <laughs> the Hunts Point Strikers fucking won. And they Hell won yeah. big. Uh, we were talking about this last week. Hunts Point Produce Market is like the biggest produce market, theoretically, at least in the country. And Saturday morning, the workers approved a new three-year contract that will get them a raise and get them back to work by Sunday. 97% of the workers voted in favor of the pact, ending a strike that disrupted the Bronx-based hub, which touts supplying 60% of the region's produce for almost a week. And they were refusing to unload trucks. They were refusing to drive stock, you know, whatever. There were solidarity strikes happening. There were other workers joining the picket line. It's all the good shit you ex- you hope to see. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, um, check out our Patreon feed for for that story. I think did we actually cover the um, solidarity strike from the train that that was supposed to deliver goods to the Hunts Point? No, I don't think we Th- talked about that. That happened right after we recorded the episode. <laughs> well, that you know, I mean, it was basically there was a train that was supposed to be delivering produce to Hunts Point Market, but when they got there and saw you know the the picket line and the striking workers, the um, and some of the workers talked to the the crew on the train and the conductor was like oh yeah no fuck that we're workers too and they were like we're going to turn the train around and take all this shit back to ohio <laughs> yep cuz didn't they also belong to a union as well they yep. actually they were specifically teamsters and i wanted nice. to talk a little bit about the reason why they did it and it's it, it's really great that they did this solidarity strike but one of the things that uh one of the people who made the helped make the decision to do the solidarity strike to turn around and bring um all of the stuff back they were like we we are teamsters too and i think that that is is a lovely sentiment but i i would really love it if it was more like oh we are workers 
to and and sure. we could kind of you know transcend that that specific label but but it was really awesome it was um see here uh teamsters jc16 i guess we're gonna do a little shout out for them who did a fucking great job and helped these workers get uh much better pay uh, well i mean considerable better pay than what was being offered by the company initially yeah, yeah. i mean a one dollar 85 raise by the third year of the contract is not bad, especially since I think the article said that's bringing almost the entire workforce above $20 an hour, which is in New York city, like a minimum wage kind of wage. And the initial offer from the company was only 32 cents an hour increase. And they wanted all the employees to have to spend like additional portion of their paycheck into the healthcare fund. But the deal that they uh, actually struck after this action and, and a whole bunch of pressure, um, every worker is going to get a minimum 70 cent uh, per hour raise in the first year. And like you said, going up to a uh, dollar 85 in the third year. And there was just some, some good quotes from uh, the members uh, teamsters, local 202 president, Daniel J. Kane jr. Added uh, finally, they'll be able to f- feed their families. This is the largest deal we've ever signed worker. Luis Rivera said, I hope this inspires people all over the city, all over the country to fight for what they believe in. Uh, His colleague, Jose Garcia, called the deal a triumph for essential workers everywhere. And this is a victory won by our struggle and all the people who came and supported us this week. So just great stuff all around. Definitely. I I was kind of surprised that um, it was so big. I mean, there was um it was honestly very well covered uh for compared to other strikes yeah which is a little surprising to me since it wasn't necessarily like military industrial complex like uh right. like a lot of like big uh union strikes that get covered in the united states so it's good to see these market workers um right. get a lot more of a platform well that's a big strength of the teamsters right is that they control very critical civilian infrastructure like logistics trains distribution networks um all kinds of shit like that so it's it's interesting to see that even though they're not as powerful as they once were they still have that ability and that that level of in touch of being in touch with the way that the logistics and especially uh what did you call them dan just in time yeah yeah because that's all of the networks that uh, our current um, infrastructure relies on the way that the circulation system in the U.S. works mm-hmm. is all on what's called just-in-time logistics. So that instead of companies having to spend the money to have all these warehouses full of spare parts, they everything is this constant like clockwork whirly gig that has to be functioning exactly the way they need it at all times, uh, so that they don't have to spend the money to keep all that extra stuff. But that what that means is that it, it amplifies the potential power of any strike action because if you in that you know logistics sector shut something down for a short period of time they don't have all these spare parts and stuff to dig into so immediately you start seeing uh issues and i think and and obviously in something like produce where it's a perishable good that just amplifies that even more right and so like i think that's a big reason like you're saying like why the teamsters are able to when they actually do a work stoppage are able to actually really get all this uh this influence and really start to pressure people and i mean we even saw like aoc went out and and joined the strikers on the line and brought like coffee and donuts and stuff. And I know New York city DSA had been uh, out there supporting the strikers and they had like a strike fund going. So like, that's pretty dope. Um, yeah. more of that, less of 
supporting U.S. imperialism. I think, yeah, I think that logistics um, explanation uh, really makes a lot of sense. We t- was it the Peru um, workers who were blo- who were the port workers, or was that Argentina? That people were like, oh no, they stopped unloading ships, and so now we're just getting huge amounts of backup. Like they're they're literally complaining. They're like, <laughs> we we don't we can't handle you not doing one because the you not yeah. doing one means that like nothing happens. Yeah, that was yep. the Argentine ex- agro export workers. Yeah, and it's yeah. interesting because like in a way, the more that the capitalist class tries to squeeze blood from a stone. With all of this, like, not having to put any overhead in, making sure everything's just in time, running everything down to the wire, and that increasing their vulnerability, you would think that that would open itself up to so many more opportunities for the working class to get what they want. But due to labor suppression, like decades and decades long campaigns of labor suppression, uh, the only kinds of bodies in the United States that can even pull this kind of shit off anymore are like the Teamsters and some of the more militant teachers and health worker unions and like the ilwu i'm like right yeah that's basically it well and the only story that is in our um lineup today that isn't necessarily a follow-up is actually exactly that which is an example of ways that labor is suppressed um via state power and we'll definitely get to that one uh towards the end but i guess in the meantime we can uh do a little amazon update i mean i guess the nfl union (laughs) <laughs> was uh they stated support for the uh amazon warehouse union that's pretty exciting i guess yeah, i mean yeah i was really surprised union. by this because like of the four major sports unions the nflpa is not the one i would have expected to endorse this like <laughs> I, I mean they're big and they have a lot of members but they've also been a, like one of the weaker of the the unions within the the professional sports because i mean which sports unions are a little strange because of like the fact that most of like well not necessarily most of but a lot of their members tend to be millionaires so you get this weird um like coalition of interest but um it does show that like yes a lot of the members of these unions are rich but they're still being exploited by the owners of the teams and they know that. And that's why they have these organizations. So it's really rad to see like the NFLPA, which has, you know, and it's the, the collective bargaining group for all the players in the NFL come out and openly endorse, um, the union drive in Alabama. I mean, against one of the biggest corporations in the world that has a multi like billion dollar deal with the NFL right for uh content um so i i'm honestly it was a little surprised that the nflpa wanted to tweak one of their sponsors like that well one of the nfl sponsors but that's it's rad and and there was a video that they uh that the amazon union posted um from them the nflpa on twitter and i think if we if we just play the audio from that that'll really give people an idea of like what sort of support people are getting yeah yeah definitely we know that taking a vote on such an important decision can be difficult especially in an economic climate where people are worried about their jobs but remember that we are part of a union that has the power to protect our workers and our rights we know the importance of collective bargaining and how it can bring us better wages better benefits and better working conditions the music is very everyone deserves to have a voice and we are proud that you're even considering taking the step to unionize Remember that this union stands behind you and are inspired by your actions. And I've been an active member in my union for the past 10 years. and understand that taking a vote on such an important decision can be difficult. 
especially in an economic culture where people are worried about their jobs. But I find comfort and conviction knowing that being a part of the union has protected our workers and our rights, especially during these unprecedented times. We know the importance of collective bargaining and how it can bring us better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. Everyone deserves to have a voice, and we are proud that you're considering taking these steps to unionize. I applaud y'all for, you know, trying to unionize, and I understand how important it is, you know, to try to make a decision like this, and it's such a difficult time during a pandemic, but understand, we are part of a union, and our job is to protect our, our workers, and uh, we understand, you know, what it takes to try to negotiate collective bargaining agreements, and, um, you know, you're just trying to do what's best for your workers when it comes to, you know, better wages, better working conditions, so, again, I applaud y'all understand that our union supports y'all and uh you know thank y'all for everything that y'all are doing during this pandemic uh working through amazon and uh you know trying to provide for all the families uh, and trying to keep everybody safe so again thank y'all we support y'all 100 percent with the nflpa and we got y'all back remember that the nflpa stands with you i stand with you and i'm inspired by your actions thank you for all you're doing during this pandemic to keep our economy afloat you deserve better you deserve better. That's cool. I, uh, <laughs> I definitely, uh, I liked the fading in country music uh, at the beginning of each person's <laughs> statement. <laughs> that, was good. that was good. The canned theme music really killed me, but it was really nice to hear, uh, you know, so many players and former players and um, pe- just members of the union, like voice their support for Amazon. Cause they're like, the NFL is huge, right? Like that's that's what's crazy about this well, is like the amount of coverage that you popular, yeah, and, yeah, it, it, huge in popularity, exactly. And it's just that uh, oh, I'm gonna follow the NFLPA on Twitter. There we go. Uh, nice. And <laughs> and to to see them to see them throw their support, you know, in front of workers, like you said, Dan, organizing at like the biggest company in the world um, is is really impressive. But I think it's interesting because. Like, yes, the players that are in the NFLPA are like a lot of them are millionaires or otherwise, you know, well off, basically. But they 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 don't have like the same class instincts, I think, as somebody who came from money, because a lot of them, you know, were just like poor kids who literally got into the NFL of football, which is the NFL. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I mean, yeah, the majority of NFL players come from poor backgrounds and I mean a lot, the, the, that's the other thing is like we see and we're presented with the big name stars who sign hundred million dollar contracts, but the vast majority of players only have a career that lasts a couple of years. Maybe they make, a few hundred thousand dollars, which sounds like a lot, but when you've spent your entire life devoted to this one practice, this one right. like uh, occupation, and then if your career only lasts three or four years, like you're gonna have to go get another job. And if it wasn't for the NFLPA, like bef- in earlier like eras of the NFL. You had like before free agency. The only reason they have free agency is because of collective bargaining and all sorts of strikes. And so, like, they have actually, like, throughout the years, done a lot for those players that, like, they you don't have to be in the league for very long to be able to get healthcare for the rest of of your life, which is you know pretty important when it's a sport that uh, you know kind of churns out horrific head injuries. Yeah, yeah. Um, very well, very and especially on the like body. a sport also where like a lot of medical. Uh, 
damage that's been caused by the sport has been covered up. And yeah. like there's a history of, of covering up and trying to silence players who have experienced traumatic injuries. And I yeah. think another thing that probably is a driving force for a lot of these guys is that specifically for the NFL, unlike the other three leagues, the feeder league for the NFL essentially functions as slavery in the, the NCAA right. with the amateur student athlete thing where the the ncaa gets to make like billions of dollars every year using players likenesses and off and just off of the the game and the players don't see any of that and it gets handed with oh they get an education they get us it all this bullshit about like like who cares they're the ones creating all this money yeah. and they're not seeing a dime of it so that yeah. experience has to be at least a little radicalizing. What a fucking insult too, to just be like a star football player. And they're just like, Oh, we made a billion dollars off of your face and like cardboard cutouts of you this year. So here's a discount on the exorbitant tuition that we normally would charge you. Like, fuck you. Which, which if you get injured and cut from the team, you lose immediately. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I hope that this action, uh, is, is really inspiring to the workers at the Amazon warehouse. Cause I know that it can be, for a lot of people i know that um there was a campaign called rock for rights which was for the guitar center unionizing campaign and we had and there was like like tom morello and some other like you know musicians came out and support and did something similar like they put that video together and um i think that it did not um get as much traction as it probably would have been to like actually get that message people like i don't i heard about it but i never watched that video of tom morello like right and um and just like i don't know i i i hope that this is as inspiring as it seems to be because um i i do think that sometimes uh even if you're in the middle of that organizing situation it can um be missed and be overlooked or even just like hear that uh oh yeah the nflpa supported us and you're just like Thanks. I don't know. I I guess we're on camera. I I gave a thumbs up there. But um, yeah, I mean, I I just I'm hoping that because of the incredible level of cultural cachet that the NFL has in American society, that specifically for this drive, if there's people that have been on the fence, if they just don't know a lot about unions, they've been, you know, subject to all of this propaganda from Amazon. Like, I think something like this, it's like, hey, here's a bunch of stars that you like see on tv every week being like yeah unions are good uh all this shit from amazon is about amazon about unions being bad is bullshit you guys should absolutely unionize like i like obviously you know material support for strike funds and stuff is 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 is, and actually joining people on picket lines is is the sort of actual material action we love to see but like i think that this actually has a pretty good chance of of being a good uh a good piece of inspiration for well, continuing. The yeah. So drive. share it with your right wing friends or whatever, Absolutely. because yeah. uh, they're going to, they're going to see these really big people that they look up to as people who are supporters of workers rights. And I think that right. this is um maybe not just for the people at the Amazon warehouse, but for basically radicalizing other people who might not, or not even radicalizing, just like sh- well, giving offering all like alternatives. a nudge towards holding solidarity. Offering alternatives um, and- to just the lack of political imagination that so many people have now. And that's what I think is really good about the NFL of all sports leagues, the, the union within the NFL getting behind this. Um, because if there's 
anything that could possibly take something that is not popular to talk about and make it popular to talk about, it's the NFL. Like if the NFL can't do it in the United States, at least if the NFL can't do it, nothing can. And there's no way to win on the culture war front. So I I think it's at least a very, very valuable experiment to find out what happens uh, when, when a, a pantheon of celebrities as collectively popular as the NFL throws their weight behind something, especially when it's up against a Goliath like Amazon. So Absolutely. celebrities of the podcasts, the farmers striking in India are our next yeah. topic. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> Just um, the most inspirational group of people out there right now i think seriously every single time you see these things that they're doing it's just like wow these people are some of the most badass workers that i've ever like heard any story about i was watching the twitter video of them actually getting into the um what's it called the uh red 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 fort yeah which is also a badass name for a building but uh they they they're they're like entrance to the red fort is on like a, a gated like cliff side kind of there's like a very steep slope next to the gates where you would usually walk in and people were just like pushing the gates over climbing down this incredibly steep slope that like a fucking mountain goat would have trouble getting up and then climbing back up the other side to try and unlock the gate and let everybody in and it was it was just really fucking cool i was really impressed with the energy yeah so this is a a continuing follow-up on the the story about the ongoing strike uh at various strikes actions uh, by the farmers in India. Uh, This just happened yesterday. So yesterday was Republic Day in India, where they're celebrating India's independence from the British Empire. Uh, That was Um, the 26th of January. Yes. So farmers had gotten, uh, farm unions had obtained permits for their tractor brigade um, to parade through New Delhi as part of the celebration. They were supposed to go in after the military parade. But they didn't do that. Uh, Some of the tractors (laughs) deviated from the convoy route agreed on, broke through police barriers, and tens of thousands of people rolled into the Capitol um, and took over the Red Fort, which is a uh, 17th century fortification that was built uh, by the Mughal Empire. But it's it's a symbol of the the unity and power of the Indian state. It's they traditionally give like you know Independence Day speeches there and stuff, um, and so they just blew right through these police blockades took over the fort, started putting flags up everywhere, and when the police tried to drive them out, they just took the police's like these like bamboo sticks that they use to, you know, attack people. They just took them from the police and drove them out of the forest. (laughs) Yeah. This rules so much. I love that. Like we had a bunch of like crazy right wingers storm the Capitol building and they all got in there and they were like bewildered what to do. And they're like wandering around and they're like, Oh, it turns out the politics isn't stored in the building. (laughs) But then in India, like left wing workers, rights supporters, like swarmed the, the red fort and they were like, fuck it. Politics are stored in the building. And they started putting up flags and driving out the cops. And there was like 10,000 of them. This is the polar fucking opposite Of what we saw in the United States. And it's so nice to have that to like wash away the shitty taste of the January 6th incident (laughs) from my mouth. The other thing that I loved about this story um, was there was a quote in the NPR article about it. Well, from an office worker who was talking, who said, quote, we came here for the farmer's support because they're not getting what they want. 
And so you're already seeing this like cross industry, uh, like collaboration and solidarity where you're seeing solidarity between urban office workers in New Delhi and the, you know, rural farmers who have already been protesting on mass. And another difference, like you were saying from the, the capital rioters is at the end of the day, the unions were like, all right, we made our point, everybody let's go. And they orderly, like in a relatively orderly <laughs> fashion, you know, cleared the area left. Right. There was, um, there was one death. Yeah, there was um, one that, death. One farmer died. Um, right. And the police said that uh, it was because uh, he had overturned his own tractor. And that was oh. the police's statement. But then the protesters said that he basically lost control of his vehicle after being shot at. Because uh, they were getting tear gassed and, and things right. like that. So, I mean, like, you can imagine that being in a chaotic situation, you might lose control of it and whose fault would that be that would be the rioting police who right. have gone and attacked the workers well i'm i'm i mean r.i.p that dude obviously yeah, he shouldn't have had to die in that but one death out of tens of thousands of people swarming a building is pretty impressive considering how we many people fight. died when like what a hundred people stormed the capitol yeah. building here yeah. in the united states yeah um <laughs> so so this continues to be amazing yeah no, no no uh absolutely it's just funny everybody tells me they're like oh you know i mean they don't tell me about travel now because it's 20 early 2021 <laughs> but they used to say like oh you know india is dangerous it's like i don't think india is actually all that dangerous in honesty i've seen the numbers america seems way more fucking dangerous yeah i i just want to um, reiterate part of um why this is still happening because uh there was the and we covered this in the other time we did the follow-up i think this is almost the fifth time we followed up on this because this is just such an awesome um action um is that there was a judge who basically suspended the laws that they wanted suspended uh which if i can point out is one of like the 10 demands that these were this worker group has and uh and they said that's not enough and so they kept striking and they're still out there doing that and this is a huge action that is going to hopefully get more of those demands met again uh one of the demands being the release of all political prisoners hell yeah which is i mean and and i and not like in a very specific like oh this person was protesting but like these are just people who are being held for non-violent crimes like anyone who is basically um in prison for a political reason and hopefully hopefully they, they get closer and closer to that actual demand being met as well through some of these giant actions hell yeah well speaking of giant actions and militant labor movements we're gonna follow up on the chicago teachers union because it turns out things that happen in the news sometimes happen for weeks and months at a time and i know that doesn't fit the (laughs) podcast format super great but we're gonna try to make it work uh chicago teachers union members have voted to defy chicago public schools reopening plans and continue working from home monday because of health and safety concerns uh city officials had said in recent days that they would view the collective refusal of in-person work as a strike but in response to sunday's vote results said they will delay the scheduled return of thousands of teachers and staff until wednesday to ensure we have the time needed to resolve our discussions without risking disruption to student learning blah 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 what they're really saying is we're gonna threaten to do some crazy shit if the teachers don't do what we want but it everybody secretly knows that the teachers have all the power (laughs) So we can't make good on any of our threats, uh, but they can use them to scare the public and sway public opinion, which is obviously the point of all that. Yeah, absolutely. That's often used to kind of 
get radical groups to stop doing things because if you don't have the support of the people, it's much harder to do things. I mean, that's right. basically the tactic that's being used here. But um, it is always like... I don't know. It feels like we're reporting a lot of uh, good news today, which is kind of <laughs> kind of well, interesting. I, it's or, or good actions, or, or um, right. Well, yeah. I loved what the union said to its like membership uh, after this vote, saying, "Quote: So, what does this mean? It means the overwhelming majority of you has chosen safety." CPS, Chicago Public Schools, did everything possible to divide us by instilling fear through threats of retaliation, but you still chose unity, solidarity, and to collectively act as one. So I love that they're just going right at it and being like, yeah, we know exactly what sort of bullshit CPS was trying to do, and everybody saw through it, and that's why, like, you know, the CTU is one of the most, like, is one of the unions you actually hear about because they actually go out and their union membership is educated. They understand what the purpose of their union is. They know what Mm -hmm. they're doing. And so like, that's why you see these like really high percentage votes. Um, Well, well, yeah, but that's the interesting thing about this is that they, they like, they only technically needed a 50% vote and they were like, we're going to shoot for at least 60 to prove the level of solidarity among the teachers. And then they got 71%, which is really good. Like a lot of union votes come a lot closer than that. Right. And uh, then they were all like, we were really hoping for a lot more. We, we know it may be low and I'm like, maybe low. You guys are doing way more impressive shit than like almost anyone else we get to report on. Yeah, and the language specifically that they're using is very much so that of being real with people to say that we right, are doing right. this in solidarity because so often we hear this kind of rhetoric around the don't say the word socialism or uh you know don't don't kind of like like use the actual like solidarity um style language to get people to um work together and do these huge actions but that is absolutely not happening here they're being very front-facing with what they're talking about Mm -hmm. um and i and i love that because it really shows that you don't need to be timid as long as you have an actually educated group of people if you're actually out there constantly um informing people of what their rights are what their power is and how to actually use it and wield it and get what you want and yeah they never want anyone to be using the language of collectivism because then people might get ideas (laughs) yeah um and one of the things i think to make a distinction about this and they, they were pointing this out that this current action is not technically a strike because they're not even saying we refuse to work at all they're just saying like we won't work in unsafe conditions. We'll keep doing remote learning. We'll absolutely keep providing education for these kids, but we're not going to drag our teachers, our staff and our students into an environment that hasn't been properly set up for working in a goddamn pandemic where we have thousands and thousands of people dying every day. There's a, there's another story I was looking at about another teacher strike. And when I was looking at it, they're talking about how like, Oh, well, you know, we haven't seen an increase in COVID from like, uh, students going to schools. And I, there's another story I just saw the other day. There has been over 2.5 million cases of COVID in children so far and you're gonna just tell me that that all happened outside of school it's a primary vector it's a primary vector for spread in a community uh, just like a prison is in the way that you know schools resemble prisons um (laughs) foucault hours (laughs) yeah it turns out uh foucault was a virologist (laughs) real epidemiology real post-structural epidemiology hours that's what he meant by biopower (laughs) 
That's what he meant by biopower. Biopower <laughs> is basically just a virus. Yeah. But but yeah, I, I think that uh, at least through listening to other people analyze how these COVID statistics are being kind of used uh, to whether like the prison population counts as one because they're not quote, quote unquote, not part of the community or other sorts of um, weird uh, kind of skewing of statistics. I mean, th- these places are incredibly dangerous. These teachers know that. They're not naive to it. They're not buying into the rhetoric that they should go back, uh, which is fucking awesome. And I would really love it if um, we saw a little bit more from other teachers' unions. I know there are a lot of other teachers' unions out there doing good work, but this sort of militancy, where we bring up Chicago teachers fairly often, uh, right. You know, I mean, well, this is what I mean, is necessary. It's not you, you don't have the ability to go easy. You don't you can't slow down because uh, you will always be fought against by right. the powers that be the state. And, and even in private schools, you know, the boards there are always going to be against the workers. Well, and it's funny that it's Chicago teachers uh, and maybe not funny is the exact right word, but it's just like. Look at the look at the presentation of teachers in American media. If you want to have a movie about like a teacher who moves to a difficult school to work at and experiences like he's a white yeah. teacher from the suburbs, it's always Chicago because Chicago is a a really hard city. B has very determined and well organized and hard nosed teachers. And then see also it's an incredibly corrupt place where funding for things just fucking disappears and new mayors come in and governors come in and out. And sometimes they go to jail and more money just disappears. And <laughs> sometimes like, <laughs> they do go to jail. That actually, that one did surprise me. You don't usually get to see the politicians go to jail. They well, go to the jail thing, a like, lot in Illinois. I don't know yeah. why, but it's the, a lot. The level of corruption you have to be involved in in this country to actually go to jail for it <laughs> is astoundingly high. So the fact that it happens so regularly in Illinois. <laughs> it's almost like the Midwestern corruption. The, the corrupt Midwesterners don't realize that they're not quite at the level of being impervious right. to like all repercussions yet. And <laughs> So one of the things with this specific action is obviously, like we mentioned when we talked about this on the last episode, that like this uh, public school system is, you know, trying to deploy all this concern trolley language being like, this is bad for the kids. But one of the statistics that was cited in this article was that um, in their plan to reopen uh, February 1st, they're planning to reopen for 71,000 students out of the 191,000 total students in those grade who said they would choose to return. And data has shown that black, Latino, and low-income families have been less likely to choose in-person learning. And literally, like, in the first week of school that they reopened, half the students didn't come back. And so, like, we, we also talked about this before, like just because a student is is planning on coming back or is going to come back, it doesn't necessarily indicate that the family thinks that it's a, like a purely safe environment. It's that most families like don't have any other option. Right. And so when you're already seeing this high of a percentage of absenteeism because people understand like it's it's an indicator that the the people, the parents, uh, the people in this uh, community know that these incredibly underfunded school systems do not have safe environments for the kids, the staff, the teachers to work in and, and that they're behind the CTU on this. And so like, I I think that it's important to not just like let that 
rhetoric of, oh, well, this is this is going to hurt the kids. No, <laughs> like the, right. the teachers aren't doing this because like, again, this is a pure work conditions based issue. There's I mean, they should be paid more, but that's not even what they're asking for. They're just saying, make yeah, this and safe. Even th- and even then, I think it's important to to bring up that, like, you know, if we're talking about what is good for the students, I'm pretty sure that one of their family members dying from COVID is not, right. you know, yeah. a, or, or a good like, thing for the kids. Acting, acting like you have the children's best interests in mind and then just, like, teacher. annihilating the fucking living conditions of the person who's supposed to be taking care of these children for how many fucking hours a day. Yep. It's like, do you really... Are you really serving the best interests of the children if you're sending them to be cared after by somebody who is at an incredible risk during a pandemic, has to worry about a bunch of additional duties in addition to what they normally do, which is already be incredibly overworked all the fucking time, and they don't get paid enough for any of this shit, and they're staying up late grading papers and like you need to take care of a teacher if you want the children to have anything resembling a good classroom experience period like this whole meritocracy idea of like oh you need to prove yourself and then you'll get more money it's so fucking ridiculous because it ignores the fact that like so much of doing a good job is predicated on having the fucking resources you need yeah well and that and that exact thing is like they want then these teachers who are supposed to go back and teach in person they don't teach in person a hundred percent of the time they're going to do in person and remote learning and they're required to do different curriculums for each one and what this does is this actually just keeps them so busy that they can't do things like what these Chicago teachers are doing because that is one of the great like pow- like powers of capital is to basically keep you so busy that you don't have the ability to the time to organize with your fellow workers and to do these actions that will literally save lives that literally save lives right yeah so uh, I know that this has started to get some more uh, national attention I just saw actually this morning on payday report they had an article that I think was a little misleading that said Biden backed the Chicago teachers, but I went and looked at what he said and like, he's like, well, you know, we just, we got to make sure that the environment is safe and then get the teachers back in there. I'm like, that's not the same. <laughs> Cause he's <laughs> well, it's just like, He's he's doing the 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 Madden version of announcing politics. He's like, oh, yeah. if you want to score a touchdown, you got to give the ball to a guy who gets to the end zone, because uh, that's all Biden is capable of. He's never yeah. had to have original ideas before, except the one time when he wrote that incredibly racist crime bill. Well, and, and he's, he can't he can't just like come out and say that the teachers need to go back because he is holding up a certain like level of rhetoric that he's supposed to be like what the the good one. And uh, even though he doesn't actually support these teachers, he has to have some sort of appearance that he does. Right. Right. And he's like and the whole thing is like he's saying that while his like covid relief plan is still pushing to get students in person as quick as possible we can't do anything and a hundred a hundred thousand people are gonna die before we even shift a little bit so because i mean that that's biden right there so yeah Yeah, i I don't want to get too no you're right i I just saw dan just like take a deep breath like (laughs) i think think you're right though it is indicative of the whole like liberal benchmarking process where it's just like wait for something to happen oh adjust course like one degree wait for something another fucking catastrophe adjust course one degree it's like why not just just steer the whole thing in the direction it needs to go in the first place but like we should know by now that that's never going to happen we're in like month what of the pandemic like if the u.s 10 and a few major other major countries had contained this we might actually be able to have 
all the, like the whole world could have gone back to normal instead of having all of these like little yeah. resurgences all over the place. Right. With, like there's a new Which California is- mutation. There's a new mutation discovered in China. That doesn't mean it's from there. Uh, yeah, it's unlike a lot. Wide, of, widely yes, ours and the UK's fault. I mean, you said you said and Sweden weirdly, yeah. but you uh, you also said let's not get bogged down, and then I bogged us right back down. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, speaking let's, of uh, <laughs> of uh, something that is terrible and a catastrophe. Uh, yes. this uh, this article headline. That we're that we're looking at, which is literally uh, what it says: a Lyft test program offers drivers more rides in exchange for ten percent pay cut. They're offered more work. Hey, for a pay cut, what an exchange! What we're having a, a sale on piecework. You have to you have to order fifteen units of it, but you you get paid less for. I don't even know how to sustain an analogy for this. This story is so dark. It's a fucking detestable business practice. Yeah, so I guess there was this driver, Erla Phillips, who got an email from Lyft. Um, she was a she was a driver for Lyft and had been for a while, and they were launching this new feature, priority mode. Turn on priority mode to earn more, the email <laughs> boasted. And so you opt in, and it said that you'd get a handful of priority hours per week where you'd get more rides than the other drivers who weren't using the feature. So already pitting drivers against other drivers, whether or not they join in the, the priority mode. And then if you want the additional rides, you have to take a 10% pay cut. And then they rig the system, obviously, so that if you don't opt into it, you drive around for hours endlessly, unable to get a ride, probably not even because there's other priority mode drivers out, but because they've programmed the algorithm to just punish you, you know, carry it and stick you into choosing the new feature. Right. This is mobile games, um, like, ideas right here. I mean, it's pay to win. This is a mobile game. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Opt into our new future. Get get ten friends to sign up. I mean, they Uber and Lyft already did that to death, right? Like you'd get yep. a referral bonus. I remember that from when I drove for a little while. Yeah, yeah. And so she was uh, saying, uh, Phillips, that her earnings as a driver were decent the first couple of years, but you know, and this is we we hear this from people who drove for Lyft and Uber when they first came out is uh, as they expanded shockingly uh the pay dropped uh substantially and with the pandemic it's only gotten worse um she said in the last week of november she only got 13 rides with lyft the majority in priority mode and that she said even though the 10 percent pay cut really adds up she still is forced to use the feature because it's impossible to get rides without it um she said quote you could go out during a snowstorm or a rainstorm and get rides not anymore now i sit at home and watch the snowfall and Another Toronto Lyft driver reached out to them. Uh, he was another like uh, early driver uh, in Toronto when when that, which was like one of the first uh, places that both of these apps expanded to outside the U.S. Originally, he said he drove exclusively for Lyft because he saw it as quote the nicer, more ethically driven company. But now he drives for both. Uh, Lyft and Uber because he sees no difference in them. He said that uh, priority mode caused a 20% drop in his earnings and said, quote, we joke that our nickname for priority mode is poverty mode. And of all the things I've seen Uber and Lyft what do, this joke. is the ickiest. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it when when you're at work and you're just like, oh, don't you love it when they steal our, our wages, but we have <laughs> yeah. to hit the agree button so we can't sue them? Yeah. And they're they're basically blaming this they're justifying doing this because of the drop in uh, rideshare usage uh, due to the pandemic. 
lift lifts rides were down 75% year over year in mid April, which good. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, Good. (laughs) Um, and rides were still down 50% year over year in November. Again, good. (laughs) Um, And they said, quote, we launched priority mode at the beginning of the pandemic to help drivers stabilize their earnings and give them another option around how to make best use of their time. It's one of the many ways we're continually working to improve the platform so drivers can reach their personal goals. Oh, my God. I love the original point of, like, the pitting workers against each other. That's just so that that's exactly what it is. Go ahead. And the fucking pageantry of options oh you have options now you have flexibility you have choices the american fuck i don't want choices i want security i want stability i want to know that i will get paid x amount of dollars a week so i can make a budget and the framing of this is quote so drivers can reach their personal goals like this is like a training for a 5k app or some shit it's like <laughs> this is people's jobs they aren't trying to reach a personal goal of like they're not trying to hit a new speed run record on how many rides they can get on yeah Lyft. this is this is like gamification dystopia like yeah. i mean we we probably saw like what was it 10 15 years ago where everybody was talking about gamification this is how you make things make people productive and all that and literally what you do is you just like you keep putting more restrictions on this is like you need to stop trying to make people be productive (laughs) like productivity like real genuine productivity like here's the other thing too i think that we're obsessed with this like quantity of productivity right because it makes the economy go it makes numbers bigger it inflates markets and it creates these bubbles and these cycles that we can ride and we can speculate on but have we ever wondered like where has the fucking quality of productivity gone what what is the fucking like where what's the level of quality of the things we're actually spending our time doing like even david graber bullshit jobs kind of categorization aside like the the goods and services are worse than they've ever been and we pay more for them and we spend more of our time working to earn the money to pay for them than we've ever had to before. It's like, it's a meme that a feudal surf had more vacation time than we do, but it's absolutely fucking true. true. That's just true. That's actually true. Um, and they, they interviewed a researcher for this article uh, with RideFare, which is a Toronto coalition working to regulate ride hailing. Um, this researcher, JJ Fuser or Foyser, um, said, quote, the priority program works because the labor supply is indefinite. It wouldn't work if people weren't desperate for income right now. It's a race to the bottom. Correct. And um, so they, they've looked into some of the numbers on this, uh, and both Lyft and Uber have been consistently cutting driver pay. About a decade ago when they first started, um, some reports showed that some drivers were making uh, roughly $20 per hour. Now it's estimated that on average it's dropped to half that. Uh, according to a 2019 study by the Economic Policy Institute, Uber drivers make around $9 an hour. Um, over the years, they've both taken steps that aren't technically pay cuts. So, like, uh, Lyft has lowered its cancellation fee from $5 to $2, which, again, makes it easier for people doing piecework to miss out on work. Um, Uber has upped its cut from drivers from 20% to 25%. Obviously, both these companies were the primary uh, sponsors of Prop 22. And so there was another study that came out specifically relating to Chicago, Again, uh, I'm talking about Chicago as, you know, the bedrock of a lot of American labor struggles, mm-hmm. um, where because of the classification, the, the researchers wrote, quote, the treatment of uh, 
transportation network providers, uh, drivers, which is like a stand in for, you know, Uber, Lyft, whoever you're talking about, uh, as quote, independent contractors suppresses their earnings, shifting income from the workers to the executives and shareholders of these companies. And, uh, the average driver in Chicago in 2019 made 1230 an hour, which is less than Chicago's minimum wage of $13 an hour. Right. And in Seattle, uh, a battle emerged between different teams of economists arguing over whether over what the drive uh, driver's average wage is. Economists Michael Reich and James Parrott found drivers make an average of nine seventy three an hour. Where again, uh, in in twenty nineteen, Seattle's minimum wage was twelve dollars. But don't worry, folks. That's only one study. You got to make sure you look at different studies. There's another study that said that Lyft's had a, Lyft had an average pay of twenty three twenty five. Please ignore the fact that this study was primarily funded by Uber and Lyft. <laughs> so, Same as it and, ever was. And there was a Berkeley Labor Center study that was done last year in advance, or, or maybe two years ago, in advance of Prop 22 um, that found that drivers in California will likely end up earning $5.64 an hour thanks to the uh, impact of Prop 22. And none of this takes in, this is pure earnings. None of this takes into account the fact that neither of these companies give you anything for the wear and tear on your car. And right. like multiple studies have shown that when you take that into account, like you have to work an absolutely absurd amount of, mo- of, of hours to make any money, much less approach minimum wage. Right. Yeah, it's it reminds me of the meme. Uh, imagine someone gives you this for sixty minutes worth of your time, and it's two five dollar bills. And uh, <laughs> <I> just <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and it it really it really hits in a in a way that you just get. I don't know what it's that smile where you're screaming on the inside. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The most insincere thanks you've ever said. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that gives me that gives me flashbacks to just all the shitty fucking jobs I've had. Just like staring at the clock and calculating how many cents I'm making per second and being like, does not seem worth it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, I mean, I did that calculation one time. Uh, this was when I was doing the sales job where we had unionized and I was like, su- I was like early radicalization. I was I had access to my own sales information. And uh, since we were commission based, we actually knew the cost on things and all that. And uh, we could look at that information. And at this sales job, I made 13.38% of profit, not total sales out of. Right. So I made I made the company a half million dollars in profit. And my pay was 13.38% of that number. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, when, when we were talking about the minimum wage uh, on the previous episode, I looked into a stat for McDonald's and just did some real rough numbers. I mean, this is like super basic. And if you really were to turn McDonald's into a co-op, it'd be very different. But even if you didn't cut any of their management salaries at all, even if you just took their profits, and redistributed it amongst all of their workers across the world, you could raise every single worker's wage by four, about fourteen fifty an hour. Not set it at fourteen fifty an hour, increase it. And that doesn't cut Damn. into their revenue, it's just the profit. Damn. So like anytime you hear any of these companies like talking about, well, you know, we can't afford to raise wages, it would cause prices. No, bullshit every single time. And this sort of stuff that we're seeing with Lyft and the this is just the worst of this shit and it's only going to spread across the whole country as these yeah. like prop 20 new versions of prop 22 
show up everywhere. Right. right. So I want to get um, moving on to our, our final story before the meme review, um, which is our one story that is not a follow up this episode. Hey. Um, and this is actually a story about the state of Montana, where basically the um, the legislature is trying to pass. This is this is interesting legislation. It's like um, the second step to right to work. Where right. they then try to make people sign agreements every year. They try to make, put it into law that every year you have to re-consent to pay dues. Um, yeah, this is really fucking weird. So, correct me if my understanding of this is wrong. They're basically saying if you're in a union, your employer has an annual right to present you with your constitutional rights to disassociate from unions. And then you have to like reaffirm that you want to continue to pay right. dues they're ba- it's basically it's like not a, a di- are you sure menu right. from like yep. windows file explorer except for it's not a disassociation from the union because the union is actually still required to to represent you and you're you actually don't uh, have the legal ability to separate yourself from the union you only have the right to not pay them for that service and so what this does is this reminds people every single year that uh that they can just opt out of paying for that service and even then even if that was like the the basic thing a lot of unions uh learned after janice v asked me that that they can actually still organize and inform people that the they and they end up paying dues i think that they lost a very small percentage of people um in that um piece from the supreme court but if you were to maybe not remember to do the paperwork or i mean like it's basically Mm -hmm. if if you were to get that like 5% cut in, in um, dues payers every year. Um, and not, not to say that that's exactly what would happen. Cause I don't think that, that that's exactly what would happen, but just the idea that the, that the employer has the ability to dictate when you do or don't um, re consent to paying these dues that are, yeah, I don't know. It's just so frustrating. Yeah. This honestly, this came off to me as like a response out of frustration that Janice didn't just obliterate all public unions. Like this really came off to me as like, Hey, wait a minute. When people found out they didn't have to pay dues, they were supposed to stop being part of the union. How come that didn't happen? (laughs) Shit. Well, let's write this new bill to basically allow every employer with a pub of a public. I think this is just public unions. Uh, yeah, 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 this is just unions in the public sector that every person who employs publicly unionized employees gets to have a captive audience. Basically it gets to have a captive audience meeting with them all to tell them, Hey, by the way, you know, you don't have to pay dues, right? Uh, you, you if you don't want to pay dues, you don't have to, by the way, did you know that I'm going to tell you this every year? And I, they're probably cynically right that they every, I mean, even if it's not a lot of people, they probably would convince a few people every year. And, and like you said, it's, it's really the, that step towards pure right to work and it all uh, like, in service of trying to eradicate unions completely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what more to say about this really is. I mean, I guess it doesn't make any sense that right to work is uh, codified into law in so many places. Um, and just like, it doesn't like it. I, I've struggled to understand how it's legal. Well, the yeah. law is all made up in the first place and that's really, 
That's really it. The ruling class can punch a hole in it any which way they would like to. And until we have institutional power, we're not able to do that in response. We have to try and grasp at straws and pull little ends of, of threads attached to levers of power and hope that it works. Uh, but the bigger and more unionized and more organized we are, the better chance we have of actually grabbing the levers ourselves. So, yeah, yeah, and I mean, the one good piece of, of info that came out of this was that um, the introduction of this bill did prompt basically across the board unanimous condemnation from not just the public unions that would be affected by this, but also the private sector unions, including like the AFL-CIO, um, like the secretary of the Montana, like a uh, portion of that was there testifying against it. Um, said, quote, we were expecting to see this. We've been preparing to have conversations and provide testimony. You saw today. I'm thankful that there were not a whole lot of employers from the state of Montana who said we need this. Uh, he said that he expects that this is the first shot across the bow. Um, at organized labor and expects more shots to come as the session gets into midseason form. Um, yeah. and essentially expects them to put in an all out right to work bill. And there have already been mailers in Montana, apparently going out for the past several weeks, trying to convince people to support right to work. So, uh, there's clearly unsurprisingly already a lot of moneyed interests really pushing Montana in that direction. Yeah. Mailers. Wow. Is it still the 1990s in Montana? Well, that kind of rules. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was living for the mailers during the election when they were calling <laughs> Joe Biden, uh, uh, uh left, rat, left wing radical or whatever. Oh I, my God. It was so funny. Like, Just, in, and the, des uh, the design on it was so bad all the time. I, w I would give up all my most valuable possessions for a president as for the Joe Biden that conservatives think they're getting to actually be the president, just all like of those, a rabid socialist. All of like those that, groups that are like th things I wish were that things conservatives say that I wish were true. All of those groups have been having a field day for, for <laughs> yeah. months, for a year. Yeah. Well, speaking of groups having field days on the internet, <laughs> uh, we've made our way finally to the meme review. Oh, insert chime and sound. And we have some. We have some heaters for you this week, folks. Yeah, insert chime sound here. And uh, the first one I wanted to throw in here because it's just a it's just a real mind bender of a tweet. It's uh, from at Nicole Lampert. I don't know. It's probably deleted now. I didn't check. It says Trump was a monster in so many ways, a pound shop fascist. But for Zionists, he also did more for Israel than almost any other international leader has ever done. It's an interesting dichotomy. <laughs> <laughs> this is just one of those things where I'm like, you're so close to yeah. getting it. I'm like, you're right there. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Like people, uh, I don't know. I don't want to have to like l constantly litigate and, and be like, everybody knows that anti-Zionism isn't anti-Semitism, right? But it's like the, the, high, the level of contradiction that we've gotten to with Twitter discourse, especially regarding like... Trump and like whether or not the United States is fascist and whether or not Israel is like a client state of ours is just like so fucking ridiculous because it's been so obvious for so long now. I think everybody should just like have a clue <laughs> at least like. Yeah. yeah. It's like, Oh man, it's so weird. The super right wing, uh, guy who fucking his whole base is made up of, or a lot of it is made up of evangelical Christians who think that Israel is a vehicle for the rapture. 
huh, he keeps doing a whole bunch of stuff that the incredibly right-wing apartheid government of Israel likes. What a strange coincidence. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's like I saw that thing on uh, Twitter today where it was like somebody in, uh, I don't know if it was Jerusalem or where it was somewhere in Israel had opened up an Alabama roll tide shop because (laughs) there were so many Christian evangelicals visiting from the United States, from the, from the South that they were like, what's the college football team that will get me the most sales. And they just opened (laughs) like a, a down home shop right there. So Wow. Although yeah. the thing is, if you post this on uh, Facebook now, it'll probably get censored because they've started yep. uh, censoring the term Zionist as an anti-Semitic term. So that's going to be fun. Well, uh, yeah. Oh, that's were, a whole can of worms. I'm not even ready again, to talk yeah. about. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's. I'm glad you told me, but uh, I don't have any commentary on that yet because that just is making so many parts of my brain race. Yeah. yeah well, um, speaking of of like brain exploding you know that yeah. i didn't i learned this I, uh dan told me that you guys put this on bb but i didn't i don't think i listened to the most recent episode yet but um apparently there was a diet coke button in the oval <laughs> office <laughs> uh this yeah. is, i actually i actually just screen capped this article um because i saw it go through my feed and it's um the it just says a button in the Oval, Oval Office that provided instant Diet Coke to former President Trump's appears to have been removed as the Biden administration moved in. The infamous device installed in the uh, Resolute desk wasn't visible in photos of President Biden captured at the White House. Wait, does that mean that it was visible in photos of Trump? Like there, the, oh, the, yeah, Diet, yeah. Co- the Diet Coke button was like visible? Very prominent. In- <laughs> <laughs> That's just fucking hilarious. Well, I mean, the thing that I wonder is I'm like... What would Biden have that changed to? I'm like, is it like a glass of warm milk? <laughs> yeah, like- yeah, I don't know. Bi- I, Biden to me seems like a water with no ice Oof, kind of yeah. guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like don't run the tap too long. I don't want it to be cold. It hurts my gums. That's like what I imagine coming out of yeah. his Only mouth. Only in a glass, never in a mug. Yeah, and I feel like when Biden does treat himself, he probably drinks alcohol, but he drinks like... Bud Light Limeritas or something like that. Like they're fine, but they're like a really weird choice to treat yourself. I just imagine him sitting there with like a glass of ice whiskey and then never drinking it. Just like holding on to it and just like (laughs) look, Jack, bring me bring me my whiskey rocks. So I and then when by the time the ice melts, you need to be back to take it away and pour it down the sink. I mean, the thing is, more likely he'd hit it, he'd forget he hit it, get confused when somebody came in to bring him the drink, and then just forget that it's there the whole time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they probably just removed the Diet Coke button because they were worried it would be another button that a senile Joe Biden would just be smashing <laughs> constantly yeah. and eventually just end up with like a row of White House staff all holding Diet Cokes like you rang. The CIA is just, just like, oh, he might accidentally hit this instead of the button to launch missiles at Venezuela or some he's shit. Got a so we got to get this stash under his desk that, and he's starting to run out of space because he doesn't actually drink the Coke. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So then uh, our next meme is just the um, someone drowning and then high five meme, which is uh, the first. It's a four frame thing. It's like people facing evictions. The person who's drowning, obviously, uh, Dem sock and liberals. Uh, and then they are high fiving them with Bernie Sanders cute mittens. Now, I don't think that we did any uh, Bernie Sanders memes in our meme review. And this is probably the closest thing we're going to get to those. They were OK. What do we? But this is well, a good time to take a take a moment to to have a small discussion about bernie sanders mitten memes yeah i think that this meme is a little bit off the mark i don't think that it, you're necessarily a dem sock or a liberal or a bernie bro or whatever if you really liked the bernie meme like bernie as a political figure of enjoyment is not at all the same as bernie a, as a like logistical political figure in an electoral machine right and like bernie as a and bernie as a meme is a million fucking times more powerful than he is like, cause he's not the president, right? And he's not going to be the president. He'll be, he'll be too old by the time it's time to run again. So everybody can give up on that. And doesn't that feel nice? Doesn't it <laughs> yeah. feel nice to, yeah. to get your hopes raised by Bernie and then have them dash like twice in a row and no. then just be like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. We, we have to do a regular revolution like the one with guns everybody um i mean kia already came out and voted to confirm all of like biden's incredibly yeah. ghoulish security state people so like i don't really think i i don't think that this that the memes were so much people like trying to reinvest him with any sort of agency i think it's more just like the whole fucking spectacle of the inauguration was so weird and the liberals were right. just absolutely falling over themselves into this bizarre semi-monarchist appreciation that they have for oh, yeah. Biden. It's all the same people who call themselves royalists, even though they yeah. live in the fucking modern United States. <laughs> and and so, like, I get why people are like, look, Bernie looks kind of curmudgeonly with his cute mittens. But I definitely was surprised by how that shit just got everywhere. Like I saw a bunch of ads on Facebook from local restaurants doing yeah, shit. Right. Very Bernie poorly photoshopped. I actually, I meant, I, I think when we talked about this, you uh, were saying, do I let people like things on this? And I was like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is a tough one. But I, I, when it came to some of those photos, I, I almost have to say no, because I saw that Bernie Sanders photoshopped, not just in like in front of the buildings of these local businesses, but literally over top of parked vehicles. Like, that, that is physically impossible. Some of the worst photoshopping jobs I've ever seen in my whole life. Like they grabbed the Google Street View photo because they don't have any good photos of the building that they're right. that they're associated with. And there's a bunch of cars there, and there's no space for Bernie. So what do you do? You just put him right on top of that van. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't yeah. fucking know. It, that that's where I drew it's, the line. It's interesting. It was an interesting <laughs> meme moment because of its pervasiveness. I feel yeah. like even right-wingers thought it was funny because they're like detached from the whole like liberal versus like more progressive liberal kind of tension that happens in the Bernie sphere. And then like, it, you know, even your communists and anarchists were like, yeah, you know, we've had to talk about Bernie Sanders for a long time. We're familiar. He's a familiar face to everybody. And I can't help but think that in a lot of ways, at least for me, it felt like we were putting, it, you were finally like setting down any last like vestiges of the notion that Bernie Sanders was going to be able to help you. Like he's still going to do 
some things. He's in charge of the Senate Budget Committee or whatever, and he'll he'll be able to exercise some power and improve some people's lives that way. But it was never going to be enough. And right. I think that there's a satisfaction with knowing that and just like finally like getting to move on. I like with your that. I like life. that perspective. It it makes it does make me feel better about this. Right. I think if if people are using this sort of thing to kind of retire him into the like lefty grandpa who occasionally says good things, but isn't playing any role of any importance in anything rather Mm -hmm. than, like you said, investing like actual political hopes in him. I, then, yeah, I do actually think that in, in that way it can, I can sort of be like some kind of progress. Well, but I mean, that's what it felt like to me, but I've said this on two different shows now and everybody's been like, Oh, that's interesting. And I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, (laughs) Nobody thought that. I was hoping everybody felt that way. No, but I mean, that's, that's how I feel, you know? And it's like, cause cause we're not gonna, we're not going to get another, who, who are you supposed to like gravitate towards in the elections after this? Like, AOC nope. AOC has yeah. already like showed how shitty she can be time and time again. She's not right. even she doesn't have one tenth of the political will of Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders wasn't going to be enough. I actually so, think right. that there's so little answers that we should just move on to the next meme, uh, Fair enough. <laughs> I agree. Um, which is this one. I'm not going to go all the way over. Please join the discord in order to get the full version of this one. But this is a, just a bingo card. This is a union busting bingo card, which I fucking love because it has got all sorts of things that we've talked about here. And you can even go back to the unlocked Patreon episode that we um, put out was like seven or nine or something like that and uh and and here's some of these things but it's just like the union is a third party dues are expensive this will affect your 401k uh you i don't even know if is uh they're gonna get rid of your health care on here that's that one i people are I unsigning or yeah. what's this one we already have affinity groups <laughs> The the one I loved on here is the this will make it an us versus them like <laughs> which is every fucking company says that that's it's like the the other side of the our company is like a family you wouldn't unionize against your dad or your cool <laughs> uncle it's really it's what they're saying <laughs> right I, the only thing that I I'm gonna this the free space on here it, it just says don't fall for these tactics it's a little too on it on the face i think that they could have really actually just put like one of the more universal things like um like we're a family or something yeah. like that right um, yeah <laughs> um but yeah this, look how this much is really do, cool look how expensive dues are or some other like bullshit like that <laughs> I, yeah. I love the one in here. Managers are taken out of the equation as if that's supposed <laughs> to be a bad thing about you. Yeah. Isn't it like, isn't it universally accepted in the, in the idiomatic language of the United States that cutting out the middleman is a good thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, who been, likes their I've manager? Been, right. I've been studying a lot more on co-ops, especially since, um, covering the, the Taylor guitars thing the other day. And, and, and just like, watching people who are in co-ops be like oh yeah like we're basic we're basically all our own managers and we don't really have managers and just like they're like i don't it's just nice (laughs) yeah right (laughs) weird it's almost like the employees know how to do the work and they don't need somebody fucking haranguing them unless your only goal is to wring every bit of money out of them that you can (laughs) exactly all right. And then uh, this last thing, which is uh, ringing every amount of, of joy out of the baked beans memes, which is just a <laughs> nail polish that is baked beans. And <laughs> and I love this. I, br- yeah. I brought this in. We brought in some no text memes before and they they have to be a high quality. And I've gone and done it again. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about those beans. Yeah. 
I'm constantly thinking about those beans. Yeah. So uh, make sure to these, these beans were made for polish, I guess. <laughs> and that's just what they'll do. I don't know. That's enough of that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just I just like it. I just wanted to bring yeah. it in here. It's good stuff. Yeah, it join, is good. join good. the Discord to uh to check out those beans, to check out the the <laughs> bingo card. Uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the look on John's face just like what? why would you say that? I'm gonna start introducing like a bean tier on Patreon. Get a load of those beans. <laughs> um, podcast yeah. you you've been listening to Work Stoppage, the only podcast licensed to bean. um yep get twice as many episodes uh by uh contributing to our patreon at patreon.com slash work stoppage uh there are links to the discord both on our facebook page uh on um on the patreon um figure out a way to message us we'll get you a link it's going to be in the description um if you get a chance to help us out maybe you're um, not able to contribute to the patreon uh go ahead and give us a five-star review on apple Podcasts. that helps people find the show uh follow john at facebook villain me at solidarity be on twitter uh dan is in the discord as kel Boehner. uh and also check out uh his other podcast uh red game table and john's other podcast beep beep lettuce I think yeah so. yeah all right that's, that's right. solidarity and forever check me out on youtube i've been uploading just under my full name john paul zigterman oh, solidarity nice. forever solidarity everybody